This is Trinity Sunday, as you can tell by the white. And uh, we're going to consider that strange and complicated concept of a Trinitarian God. Let us start by remembering the words of Psalm 122, 18 to Psalm 118, 22 to 24. The same stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord has acted. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And it's a good day to rejoice and be glad. Peace with God. There are many and varied ways to think wrongly about God. Some may think, well, what difference does it make in how we think about God? Well, it does make a difference. It's very important because how we think about God determines how we act toward God. Many who are raised in some other religion or spirituality than Orthodox Christianity and even many within the church believe that God is some distant force or being who watches but seldom if ever actually intervenes in our lives today. They see this being primarily as a judge who is keeping record of good and bad and will reward each person according to the tally at the end. Even those of us who ascribe to a Trinitarian God often struggle with our concept of God the Father. We often are so influenced by experience with either our earthly father or other men in authority in our lives that we become skeptical that a God who is always referred to in scripture with male pronouns can really be trusted. And earthly men, no matter how good they might be, will always fail us at some point to some degree. The church recognized the importance of this Christian concept of the Trinity and designated the Sunday following Pentecost Sunday each year as Trinity Sunday, a day in which we are encouraged to talk about and think about this challenging and confusing concept of three, sep three separate persons but one God. The reading from the New Testament today was Romans 5, 1 to 5. And the subtitle in the ESV for that portion of scripture is Peace with God Through Faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Sounds like a song, this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we see in this short passage in the 
the letter written to the church at Rome, Paul mentions all three persons of the Trinity. We have, pay, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And because of this, we have peace with God, which is, I think, God's ultimate design and desire for us is to live in peace with Him, <clears throat> and which we cannot do until we come to know Him through the salvation brought to us through Christ and His and his sacrifice upon the cross. Two very common mistakes we often make when thinking about, or especially if we try to explain the concept of the Trinity, is you might have heard someone say, you may have even used it yourself, that the Trinity is like water that is found in liquid form, nice, as solid form as ice, and as a gas, a gas a vapor. So, unfortunately, that analogy doesn't hold up very well because it uh, falls into what the church condemned as modalism. Adherents to this idea that the church is called modalism believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not distinct personalities, but are different modes of God's self-revelation. A typical modalist approach is to regard God as the Father in creation and through most of the Old Testament, the Son in the act of redemption and the Spirit in sanctification. In other words, God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit in different eras, but not as three separate persons. Examples of this are the oneness churches, Many of these churches have the title apostolic in the name of the church. The Pentecostal Holiness Denomination, the United Pentecostal Denomination. Some individuals that you may know of if you've been around the South very long uh, who hold to this heresy called modalism is Vestal Goodman, Vicki Yoey, Dottie Rambo, and the tent preacher revivalist William Brannan. So it's a very common, popular uh, era that's believed by a lot of people, especially in the South. <clears throat> the idea that God in himself is one God who merely appears in different forms to the world, now as the Father, then as the Son, still again as the Holy Spirit, uh, is contradicted by scripture that says more than once that the son that the son and the word in the beginning were with God as is the Holy Spirit the three are eternally distinct the son is of God and the spirit is of God and there's many more scriptures the son and the spirit are not merely aspects of God without so to speak a life and existence of their own how strange it would be to imagine, for example, that when the Son becomes man and prays to his Father, 
and acts in obedience to his father, it is all an illusion with no reality in fact, a sort of divine presentation played before the world with no reason or truth for it at all. So you can see the fallacy of this idea that's referred to as modalism. Another very common heresy that arose early in the history of the church is Arianism and there are other uh, derivatives of that down through the centuries and that is is the concept that that Christ was created and the Holy Spirit were created by the Creator God or God the Father so that denies Christ his fully divine status as being uh, part of the Godhead the Arian controversy was of major importance in the development of the church's Christology during the 4th century and was addressed definitely in the Nicene Creed, which we recite most every Sunday. Examples of uh, sects that believe this era, or the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and the Jehovah's Witnesses. This doctrine that the Father alone is God and that the Son and the Holy Spirit are creatures made from nothing like angels, men, and the world. The church answers that the Son and the Holy Spirit are not creatures but are uncreated and divine with the Father. They act with the Father in, divine, in, the, act, in the divine act of creation of all else that exists. The idea of one God as three separate persons is intended to show something of what God has revealed of himself to the saints of the church throughout history. To grasp the words and concepts of the doctrine of the Trinity is one thing. To know the living reality of God behind these words and concepts is something else. So it's one thing to intellectually ascribe to the concept of a Trinitarian God, but it's yet a whole different thing to know this God and be in relationship with the living reality of God. We must work and pray so that we might pass beyond every word and concept about God and come to know Him for ourselves in our own living union with Him. In the, in the passage of scripture I'm about to read, Ephesians 2, 18 to 20, it says, The Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. Someone has said that God is more than the summary of words, which simply means that you could take all of the sermons ever preached, all of the theology ever written, by the wisest of scholars and the most devout believers put it all together and the amount of knowledge about God would fall severely short of who God fully and really is in reality. Our finite minds cannot grasp His greatness. Ephesians 2 starting in verse 11 Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision 
which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the, divide, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So the hymn in verse 18 is Christ. So we can say the scripture plainly says that for through Jesus Christ we both have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father, to God the Father. Continuing on in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through verse 22. Uh, if we only had that one passage in addition to the Gospels, that would be enough to sustain us, to understand God's plan. Uh, what an incredible, concise presentation of the Gospel, of God's story, of His purpose. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So to sum it all up, the question is, are you at peace with God? Am I at peace with God? To what degree am I at peace with God? When am I not at peace with God? Do I live in fear that I'm going to be rejected by God? Do I believe that God is distant? Or is he near? So, somehow in my study, I kept coming across articles about this book and movie called The Shack. I'm not going to go into detail. And I don't know if you've read the book or seen the movie or both. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've read the book when it first came out. 
and I had some problems with the book but I didn't it wasn't so much about its portrayal of, in a very unorthodox way of the Trinity and some of the articles I read I think made some unjustified criticisms I've heard Paul Young's testimony and I believe his heart is was or is genuine in his purpose for writing the story of a non you know a fictional story a novel uh, with the desire to help people who are struggling with unforgiveness and hurt and are in the midst of great suffering help people who are suffering to believe in a God who is not distant a God who is capable of revealing himself a God that is that is kind a God who is love and he did that very well it's an incredible story it's a very moving story he sold millions of copies um, but there are some weaknesses in it and I guess the the biggest concern I have is does and after you finish reading the story does it help you it it should help you see God as being approachable which is a good thing but does it bring God down so much to our level that we aren't moved to worship him as well I think that was a justified criticism of the story along with it's breaking some pretty uh, severe infractions of some orthodox thinking which is problematic especially for those who aren't going to have discernment and can consider uh, the truth of the creeds and the truth of the church and interpreting a story that's about forgiveness it's so anyway it, that's, I brought that up just to help you realize that uh, it's complicated and there, and there are many ways of thinking about God that might be helpful at, in one place at one time but fall very short of being uh, profitable for all places all the time and they just it's not so, always so much what they say is what they don't say so just use caution as you read as you watch stories on in film or TV or video or at the theater as you listen to music that have lyrics that impact how we think and how we believe use caution to always come back to the truth revealed in scripture as it has been believed by all from the beginning the consensus of the witness of the church and the believers uh, since Christ was on the cross so we're going to uh, affirm our faith today not by the Nicene Creed but by the Creed of St. Athanasius and it's extremely fine print 
So I'm going to read it and ask you to read along if you can, uh, but allow me to read it to you today instead of us reading in unison as we normally do the Nicene Creed. But if you can, read along 